one of those cycles, not all three, so they're done. Um, the white stuff we still have to do, that really gets us towards the end of the book and the end of um, looking a bit forward-looking in, in human history. So that's, that's coming. Uh, but for this Sunday, next Sunday, we're right in the middle, chapter 12 to 15. Um, and it doesn't introduce really essentially anything brand new to us in terms of the conflict that exists for, for the church in this world, but it takes everything now a step deeper. Okay, and this chapter will point out how, and next week Ryan will take us through chapters 13 and 14, and it sheds more light on the deeper issues of what goes on in, in, in your and my struggle as, as Christians, if, if you consider yourself a Christian. So that's where we're at. Um, we're kind of kicking into the second half of the book and now things just get into the deeper side of things. All right, so that's that. For today, chapter 12, um, one-liner. What is chapter 12 about? What does it tell us? Um, it's this statement. Will, can you flick me over? I think my little clicker is not going to help me. Here is my crack at Revelation chapter 12 in one sentence. There is a world's wide war which God has already won and it's working for the woman. Okay? <laughs> you might say, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> I'll explain. For now, there is a world's wide war which God has already won and it is working for the woman. Let me break that up. Let me, let's get into it and into the passage. There is a world's wide war. Verses 1 to 6 in chapter 12. If you, if you have a look at that, if you, if you remember from the reading, it introduces us in a very strange way to the Christmas story. Really? Um, it talks about a woman. She is spectacularly dressed, clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet and crown of 12 stars on her head. Uh, she symbolically represents the people of God. The church, right? You could say. She's pregnant and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And she gives birth, we read, to someone who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. It's Christ. It's the Christ story. It talks about the coming into the earth of Jesus, his birth, but it also implies his life his death, his resurrection, right? It's, 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 it's the Christmas story, if you would, the birth of Jesus. Except in this particular Christmas story, there's a bit of a twist, right? <laughs> I don't know about your nativity scenes at home. Does anyone have a dragon in it? 
Anybody have uh, a, an enormous red dragon in your stable? Do you think, when you think of Christmas, that there is a character part of the story who stands ready as the Virgin Mary is about to give birth to devour the child. That's a grotesque scene. And you need to think if we have difficulty plugging that into reality, the other character that's not in our nativity scene, it's, it's Herod, who feels threatened by the birth of this child orders the murdering of all babies, Jewish males, in Bethlehem and area. Can you imagine that? The human character is Herod. <laughs> but the deeper conflict is Satan. Excessive hatred to, to the nth and the extreme degree is what we're introduced to in this chapter. This is the real conflict that's going on in the Christmas story. It's not between Herod and Jesus. Just like in the Old Testament, if you know your Bible, it's not between Pharaoh and Moses, who also murdered all the babies. Right? <laughs> it's between Satan and God. That's where the conflict lies. That's the source of all the, all the, the difficulty, all the suffering and the, and the affliction, if you really want to, Take it to that. And so Paul talks about that to us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, right? Our struggle, the struggle in the nativity scene, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, it's against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's where the battle lies. Now I want to hover on this a little bit. Because I think it pops a lot of questions into my head, maybe yours too, and I can't do all the work that's required here, but let's, let's do a little bit. If you're new to church, your question is, who is Satan? And why is he opposing God? Okay? Who is Satan? Why is he opposing God? Satan is the, the person... The character, if I can explain it very simply, who is the highest form of evil in existence. The highest form of evil in its most profuse, depraved, wicked, evil extent is Satan. It's a spiritual being. He's a spiritual being like God is a spiritual being. He is a spiritual being. There's a whole world of spiritual reality that is part of our existence that we don't see. We believe that by implication if you're a Christian because you're indwelled by a spirit, <laughs> empowered by a spirit, and that has an evil realm. What makes him evil? That's a great question to wrestle with. What makes him evil? Again, we can spend a series on this alone, but I'll, I'll give you the essence of what makes him evil. Evil is the failure to love God. 
as the object of supreme beauty, goodness, authority, and love. That's the trace element of evil. Now, of course, that, that, that how that's lived out and what it leads to changes, you know, not all evil is the same, right? You get really evil, you, you, you pedophiles, you murderers, you, all that kind of stuff. But it all boils down to the same seed. I'll say it again. Evil is the failure to love God as the object of supreme value, worth, beauty. <laughs> the refusal to love Him is evil. At least that's the seat and the root and the beginning of all evil acts leads from this. And Satan, more than any being in existence, cannot, cannot, and will not stand for anything or any emotion or any thought that would love and value God. A supreme worth, supreme value, supreme beauty, supreme goodness. That's it. Really? Um, you might ask, okay, well, what does Satan look like in our world? What does he appear as in our world? I won't go there today. Ryan will take us a little bit more into some of what Revelation shows us and will show us a bit more later. It does show us a few insights in what does he look like? How do, how do I identify the work of Satan in my life or in this world? More to come. For now, I want us to move on. I just want to ask this question. Your, your question might be, and my question should be, um, why should I know this? Why should I know that the nativity scene actually has a character like this? Why should I know that there is an ultimate battle between God and Satan? How does that help me? Why is it important for us to preach this and to have it in Revelation? Well, I, there are more reasons than this, but I'll give you this one. Uh, I don't know what it was like to have fought in World War II. Of course, I don't know, and I speak of what I don't know here. But I would like to suggest to you that there was one thing that ought to have motivated, in my mind, soldiers who suffered and civilians who suffered, everybody who suffered on the side of good, in that battle. And that was understanding the greater purpose of their cause. The greater purpose was fighting, <laughs> fighting fascism, fighting totalitarian, fighting injustice, fighting what was being done to innocent victims by what is essentially one of the outworkings of <laughs> an evil regime. You know, I, I bet to some degree that gave some comfort, some motivation, some encouragement to a soldier who is in the trenches, probably going to lose their life, is, you know what, at least I understand that there is a larger battle going on and we are sacrificing for something good. Families at home in loss and longing and poverty could know that at least... 
we are in the line of sacrificing for something good in a very large battle. Revelation is all about encouragement. Christians should know that your hardship and your suffering is also part of a very large battle. (laughs) And this point alone should encourage us to say that what you're going through as a Christian, what you're suffering, what you're finding hard, particularly for persecuted Christians, you know what? It's part of a massive battle and you're in the line of the good guys. Be encouraged in that greater picture. But you know what? It's not just that greater picture that should encourage you. It's also the second part of the statement. And it's this. God has already won. God has already won the war that we are fighting. Uh, and, and, and the way he's won it is what I want to draw your attention to. Can you look for me again in chapter 12, um, verses 10? Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. How did God win? By the blood of the Lamb. I want to tell you a story, illustrate this point and then we'll go to the last point of the message. I want to tell you a story of a mum, single mum, who had a daughter. The daughter was rebellious, was wayward. And in her early years, about 19, 20, she was kind of that off the rails uh, that she, in her vanity and love for things that she hasn't earned yet and she hasn't worked for yet, wanted a big flashy four-wheel drive. Do you know young girls are totally into four-wheel drives these days? Times have changed. Um, yeah. She wanted the big flashy four-wheel drive, you know, uh, and it was going to cost her $50,000. She asked her mum for the money, demanded it, insist, insisted on it, manipulated the mum, very cruelly so at that. Mum, of course, said, no, can't do it. She found the money by from a guy who entered the picture, who entered the scene, lent her the money gladly. Turns out he was a drug lord. Got caught in the web of that life. He eventually enforced and manipulated her that badly into sexual exploitation, into peddling drugs, into running drugs, into becoming entirely enfolded into the snare of this viper until one day when she was at a rock, rock, rock bottom. Police caught her. She's being slugged with the jail time. A fine for $25,000. And besides that, the drug lord demanding $75,000 at this point in time. And you know what? At that rock bottom, a phone call came to mum. I need help. I need help. Mum knew like only a mum can. This time, it was real. It was real. 
She needs the help. But more than getting out of the fix, she wants a new life. She wants to change. That mum, single mum as she is, sold everything she had. A unit, a townhouse. <laughs> she paid the fine, paid the police, paid the drug lord, got her daughter back, lost everything she had and gained the only thing she wanted. It involved repentance, reconciliation and restoration for her daughter's life for the rest of her life. You know what that mum could say to the drug lord? You lost. You lost. You lost because in this picture there is reconciliation. <laughs> there is restoration. There is repentance. And it came at the enormous cost of redeeming my child from that life. Redemption, reconciliation, restoration, <laughs> repentance. You lost. <laughs> the drug lord lost. And I think, church, this is, the, this is the gospel, right? There's an imperfect story, this of human actors, but the gospel story is, is no different. Lord's Supper, the body, blood of Jesus, I will buy my children back. Those who would come, those who would make the call, those who would be repentant, they will be reconciled to me and I will restore them and I will fix them. Net result, Satan, you lost. You see, this is where the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, for those who would believe it, is an ultimate victory. And can you think how incredible God is? He, as the all-powerful sovereign, could have won that battle in another way. Yet he goes for the reconciliation, redemption, restoration option. That is how he wins. It's extraordinary. It is unmatched in beauty, in splendor, in glory. That that is the thing, that by the blood of the Lamb, <laughs> Revelation says, he has triumphed. You and I ought to be encouraged. Revelation is about encouragement. Chapter 12 tells you that there's a larger battle. Your hardships is part of the larger battle and the larger battle has been won by a God who is loving, who wants to restore, redeem, and pull you out of it. And now to move to the last point, you'll say, okay, well, that's great. The battle is over and it's all done. No more difficulty. Well, no, I'm afraid not. Last part of our statement. It's working for the woman. Let's go back to World War II if I may. The turning point, actually you, just to give you a bit of time to, to think and speak, tell me, what was the turning point, do you think, any historians in the room of World War II? When did the Allies, when did the war turn in favour of the Allies? Hey? 
D-Day, yeah, okay, that's a big, big moment in the war. Yep, possibly. Any other possibilities? <laughs> Americans came, yeah, you could, you could argue Pearl Harbor, sort of, Americans joining the fight, yes, yes, yep. Yes, that came really towards the end, that was the final straw, yes, yes, yep. They're all contenders, there's actually no real agreement on this, but, um, but I'm looking for another one that I think was very significant. Think East. Battle of Stalingrad on the Eastern Front. Many historians consider that to be the, the real first significant blow to the German army. They, they never quite recovered from that, right? Um, but yes, all the others are part of it as well. I, let's work, let's say that on the, the Eastern Front, Battle of Stalingrad was the one. What was the date of that? That battle finished on February the 2nd, 1940. Three. When was the war over? 8th of May, 1945. Between the turning point in the war and the end of the war sat two more years. Sat another 60,000 casualties on D-Day landings alone. Sat 7 to 10 million Russian military deaths. Sat millions of Jewish people who in those years still had to pay with their lives sat countless millions of people in the home country suffering poverty and diseases and extraordinary conditions. I, you know, I don't know if I can draw that analogy to, to history with, with, with what God is doing as well, but I think there is, there is a similarity. The cross was the decisive turning point. <laughs> the battle's lost for Satan. And yet, and yet, is hurled down, suffering continues, persecution continues, and the end is not here yet. Do you notice the symbolic number in the chapter, 1,260? <laughs> Great encouragement in that. That says to us that God is not in the same position as the Allies in World War II. World War II, the war dragged on for another two years because the Allies couldn't finish it. In the battle against Satan, it's not finished, not because God can't finish him, it's because he's choosing not to. He is allowing a very specific time between the resurrection of Jesus and when he will finish him. It's marked. It's precise. God knows when it's going to end. He can end it any minute. He has thoroughly won victory over Satan and he will finish it at exactly the right time. In the meantime, as we said two weeks ago, and this is a difficult concept really to grasp, is that even all of what Satan does in the world somehow works for the benefit of God's children. Right? Now, little slogan two weeks ago, God is using the very work of suffering and sin caused by Satan for the sake of his seal until he stops the story. I don't know how this works, there's mystery, but we're told very clearly that even the grotesque acts of the Herods and the Pharaohs and the Hitlers 
and Silicon Valley and whoever else in our world somehow works out for the strengthening, the growth, and the eventual victory of the church. The woman will win. She will suffer greatly, as chapter 12 says. The dragon will come after her. He will spew out a river, which is a metaphor for persecution. And it won't end until God says it's done. And in the meantime, let's finish on this note, because you may say, man, that's harsh. Look at the promises. 12 verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of. And again, later on in chapter, uh, verse 14, uh, the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Church, no matter how much Satan comes after us, God's with us. He's going to take care of us. Yes, it's a desert. Yes, there's a devil on the loose. But you will be given eagle's wings and I will protect you. I will be with you. I will shield you. I will make sure that you get to the end, when I say it's the end, in fine shape. The Christmas message, right? Emmanuel, God is with us. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you that Revelation chapter 12 is a phenomenal chapter of your sovereignty and your greatness. Lord, that you do not just rule over human actors who hate you, who do not love you. You do not only make them achieve your purposes, but you also rule over the greatest enemy that mobilizes them. You have earned victory over Satan, an astonishing victory, a mind-blowing victory. And Father, I pray as we now prepare ourselves to Take the Lord's Supper that this morning we will be mindful of the size of the victory that we celebrate. That you did not just conquer our own rebelliousness and sin, like the daughter in the story, but you also conquered the drug lord. You overcame both. <laughs> and you set us free from both. We thank you, we worship you, and we glorify you for your astonishing work in salvation. Amen. I'm going to ask us to move straight into the Lord's Supper, so if you need to just stretch a bit, you can, and those who are going to hand out the bread and the wine, you can do so now, and then we'll, um, we'll eat and drink together. Thank you.
usually when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we draw attention, and rightly so, to the fact that our sin is the thing that, that symbolically here is dealt with. The price is paid, our punishment for our sin has been taken on by Jesus. That is true. Today, I want Revelation to tell us something different. We need to imagine here, even though it's a tiny piece of bread and a tiny cup of juice, you need to imagine a final celebration feast in heaven by all of the family of God. Maybe the first Lord's Supper after the resurrection of Jesus. You know what this also represented? Not just the removal of our sin, but it's a victory party. It's a victory celebration that says, you know what, Satan also is done. And so today, as, as we take the bread, as we, as we contemplate the sheer size and scale of what it means, would you, would you take it? Would you eat, remember, and believe that the body of Christ was broken was Satan's ultimate defeat? Let's eat together. And similarly, the, the little cup of juice that you hold, um, I urge you, should say to us at the risk of making it sound trite, but it's a, it is a victory drink as well. It is saying, it's saying, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Christ has won. Let's drink together. Jesus, thank you for the feast that we get to have, even though it's a meagre symbol here today, by faith enable us to taste and see and already understand something of the lavish victory celebration that we are a part of. We thank you, we glorify you, that this is what we get to celebrate today. Make it ever real to us every day as we eat, as we drink that we are participating in the feast of the Lamb for the great victory he has won. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Music team, come on up. I, just, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't resist um, to throw a Christmas carol into the mix <laughs> for today. So, um, uh, yeah, please do stand as we sing these words. Um, let them sort of find their place in the context of what we, what we said today. Thank you. Let's stand.
Well, thank you very, very much for joining us this morning in church. We pray and hope you guys have a fantastic week. Please join with us for cups of tea, coffee, some morning tea out in the foyer. Uh, Don't forget to collect your tiny humans from the kids program if you have sent them there. And if you want to contribute financially to the work that Pathway does in ministries here and other places, you can do so online or there is a little box down the back uh, you can place some money into if you'd like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you have won the battle and thank you that we can rejoice and live out in your name as you uh, have us participate in the wonderful redeeming work you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace and thank you for coming.